0: Church family, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 119. Uh, We have this Sunday and next Sunday left in this middle section of our series through Psalm 119 before we begin uh, a sermon series in 1 Corinthians. I'll speak more about that next week. As you find your place, uh, let me tell you what's coming up on Wednesday. Uh, Both of these are important. One's going to sound more important than the other, but I promise you both are important. First, this Wednesday night will be our last summer fellowship. We believe that fellowship is one of the core things that the church does. It's one of the ways that we reach in. We reach in through discipleship and fellowship. Being a part of one another's lives matters. It matters that we act as a family because God says we are a family. And so this Wednesday night, uh, we're, we, on Wednesday nights, if you're new with us, during the summer, we, will have, we often have summer fellowships together this last Wednesday. We all went skating together at uh, Smithfield Skate Rink this Wednesday night. We're going to be having our end of summer barbecue out here on, uh, out here in the lawn at 6.15. Church is going to provide barbecue. You bring side items and desserts and just come and hang out. There is no schedule other than it starts at 6.15. It'll end about the time that it gets dark. If you're new with us, this would be a great opportunity for you to meet people and to get to know those uh, who called this faith family home. And so we would love to see you this Wednesday at 6.15. And then the next Wednesday is when all of our normal like school year equip uh, ministry begins on Wednesday nights for preschoolers, for children, for students. And for adults, our new equip cycle will begin this year. Our equip cycle is on our mission. Our mission is to make disciples. And so we have four classes prepared that you'll rotate through over the course of 32 weeks on the subject of making disciples. There are brochures on the back table and at the information desk that break down all four of those classes. There's information both in the brochure and in the connector about how you can sign up for uh, equip. I can promise you it will be a blessing to you. I know it is a sacrifice. Many of you work right up until the time that Equip starts. You kind of come in here on two wheels, but it'll be worth it for you to make the effort to do that. And then all of our Equip uh, teachings go on our Equip podcast, which you can find on our website or any place that you download podcasts in case you do need to miss it. I invite you to stand with me now as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to begin in verse 105. These verses are starting to pile up. Verse 105 of Psalm 119 down through verse 112. This is the word of the Lord. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Father, we thank you this morning for the joy and privilege of gathering as the body of Christ here at Nansman River Baptist Church. Let us never take for granted the fact that we get to gather together every Sunday. That we can be together, love one another and encourage one another and correct one another and study your word together as your spirit moves in our church and in our lives. Thank you, God, for the time of corporate worship that we have shared in as we have sang praises to our God and King and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, would, as we will see in the text, would your word be a lamp for us? Would it illuminate our hearts and our minds to what you the eternal God of the universe has said is true. Let us know that it is true. Let us live as if it is true. Let us walk in your good word, we pray. Thank you, God, for your word. May it help us now by the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our... Sermon this morning is entitled, Walking in the Good Word. Last week, we transitioned a little bit in the series from a couple of sermons that were very doctrinally focused to a sermon that was very practically focused. I I think this one maybe strikes a little bit of a balance. There will certainly be several practical elements here as we think about what does it really mean to walk in God's Word As I was preparing the sermon this week, and particularly what is likely the most famous of all of the verses of Psalm 119, that first one, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, could not help but be reminded of a trip my wife and I, along with several, uh, about a dozen or so high school students took years ago uh, to Romania. This uh, trip was uh, just fraught with calamity. Um, at the beginning, the very the trip even began badly. Christy was flying in after dropping who was now our 17-year-old son, who was about, I don't know, three at the time, with his grandparents. We were all supposed to meet in Chicago. Her plane made it. Ours didn't. And so I was left stranded overnight with a whole bunch of teenagers while my wife was on a plane by herself to a country she had never been to, um, waited for us there for a day, we finally make it. We were helping a church plant that our church partnered with in Romania do their first youth camp. We were way out in the Carpathian Mountains. This is where Dracula is from. And it rained the entire time we were there. It, it It was just one calamity after another on this trip. And one of the young men that we brought on the trip had a tendency to just wander away and one night he had wandered away and we were all supposed to be in our cabins and he was not there and so it became my responsibility to go and find him and so I gathered up a few guys and said we've got to go find him and so off we go into the mountains where Dracula is from and we walk out of the camp down to a, a break in the path. The path is going to go kind of downhill one way and uphill another way, and we're standing at kind of this fork in the road, and up the hill was um, the kind of outskirts of the camp, and there was a light pole and a light that kind of made the path clear in that direction. And to the right, down the hill, was the darkest place on God's green earth. And so I looked at some of those boys and I said, all right, y'all are going to go look for him that way, and I'm going to go up and look for him that way. And one of them looked at me and said, I am not going that way. There are likely bears down there. <laughs> I don't even know if there are bears in Eastern Europe. I imagine there probably are. We did find him eventually. But it was, I was reminded, and that, that, that story has stuck with me for all these years, and it will stick with me. Uh, for the rest of my life because I am reminded that there really are two paths in life one that is just pitch black and one that is illuminated for us and it is the word of God by the power of his spirit and his in his goodness to us he has revealed truth so that his word becomes a lamp unto my feet so that we can walk in it The main idea of today's sermon is that walking in the good word requires that we trust and obey scripture in all circumstances. If we are going to walk on the path that the Lord has illuminated for us, it is going to require us to do what the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So let's begin with trusting. We're going to see this morning that we should trust in Scripture as a light for our path. Look at verse 105, again, the most famous probably verse in Psalm 119. You likely, if you've walked with the Lord for a while, you know this verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the psalmist tells us that the word in in a metaphor, he's showing us how the word interacts with our actions, with our lives, that As we walk the unique path that the Lord has set out for us, and yes, the Lord has set out a unique path for you in your life, the psalmist elsewhere says that the Lord has numbered our days, that he knows our steps, that he knows our ways, that God has laid out for you a path, and on that path he illuminates it for the believer by his word, that his word becomes a lamp for us, that we do not have to wander around, Around in the darkness, wondering where to go, wondering how to get to from one point in the Christian life to the next. We don't have to wonder, you know, what's ahead of us, what kind of uh, tragedies or what kind of persecution or affliction may befall us on the path because it is illuminated before us, it is both a lamp and a light that I can see clearly as I take one step into another and I can see and know what God desires for me because his word shows me. But I also want us to see that there is a connection between the word as our lamp and the light that is the gospel at work in our lives. Listen, every Christian sermon is a gospel sermon. Every Christian sermon is a sermon that should point us towards Jesus. My goal isn't just to say, the word is good, listen to it. My goal is to say, the word is good, listen to it, because the word shows us who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how we can trust and obey in Jesus. Make no mistake, Christian, the the scripture is clear on what it means to walk in the light versus walk in the darkness. We all begin life in the darkness. Some of you may be here with us today because a friend invited you, a family member invited you, or maybe you've just attended church for a long time because you think it's what you're supposed to do, but you are still in the darkness. Paul writes about these people in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he says, And if even our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here Paul uses this same metaphor, this idea of darkness and light, and he says that there is a God of this world, this is the enemy, Satan, the serpent, he is the one who is seeking to kill and steal and destroy. He wants to keep people's eyes veiled to the truth of the gospel. He wants you to walk in darkness. And in many people's lives, he has control and he has blinded their minds, Paul says, to the light of the gospel. This is why that so many people, you share the gospel with them and they think it sounds like foolishness. It's why most people think the fact that we would get up and consider it a joy and a privilege every Sunday to wake up early and to come to this location and to gather and to do the things that we do. That they, they think it is, it's is—it's madness that we would dedicate our lives to this, but it's because their eyes have been blinded, their minds have been, they, they have a veil, they're in the darkness, but who is the light? The light is the gospel of the glory of Christ. The lost are in darkness, but those who, have, who are in Christ have seen the light. <laughs> we, 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 we didn't choose the path of darkness, but because we were called unto salvation, because our eyes were opened by the power of God in our lives, we were able to see the light. We didn't make this happen on our own. The grace of God extended to us. So that we could see the light. And then this light becomes a part of our very nature. In his first letter to the New Testament churches in uh, Asia Minor, the Apostle Peter says some things about Gentile Christians that used to only be able to be said about faithful Jewish people pre- Christ. He says, he uses some very Hebrew centric words. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. These are all things that once were said of a small group of people, but now are said of all people who are made right with God through Christ. And then he says this, that you may may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you are in Christ today, then you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, because God has taken you out of darkness and placed you into the light. And then those who walk in this light are something new. They're something different than those who walk in the darkness. In his first letters to The churches, the apostle John says this in 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. See, those who walk in darkness are not in fellowship with him. It is only those who walk in the light that can say they have fellowship with God through Christ Jesus. You say, why take this? you know, five or six minute excursion through the truth of the gospel that God takes us from darkened hearts that have with eyes that are veiled to the truth and God through a work that only he can do causes us to be born again, causes us to see the light, brings us into the light so that we can then walk in the light. Why do this? Because this is very important. Psalm 119, 105, is only about those who are in the light. You see, the Bible isn't a light that we can just pick up when we want to, when things are going bad, when, when we need some good advice. We pick up the light of the Bible and we shine it on the path, the one or two steps right in front of us so we can know how to, how to navigate life. This is how so many people treat the word of God. They treat the word of God like it's a flashlight that they could turn on and turn off at will. that that the light that Christians are called to walk in is, is somehow optional in life. No, we are called to always be in the light. And so for the word to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, you must be in the light of the gospel. This is why that we say the gospel is good news. It's literally what the word means, good news, not good advice. We so often want to treat the Bible like it's good advice. We, we want to treat, hold on, let me, Christians, we want to tell lost people how to obey the Bible before we tell lost people how to obey the gospel unto salvation. We don't proclaim good advice to people from the Bible We proclaim good news that radically changes their lives, that brings them from darkness to light. And when the power of God does that through faith, by grace in their lives, then the word can be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. We don't tell them, start doing what the Bible says and then come to Jesus. We say, come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, then you can start doing what the Bible says because now you are in the light. So my question for you, just right here, after the first verse, we're only at the first verse in, but I have a question how can I really tell? How can you really tell if you're walking in the darkness or the light? Because you look at your life and you recognize, like, I look at mine and still see sin present. I still see selfishness present. I still see boasting present. Still see all of these things that, that exist in my life. Well, how can I know? Well, what, what's your relationship to the light? Are you in Christ who is the light? Or are you still walking in the darkness of this world? Oh, church, let's be people who who understand that the light of this world is Jesus and the good news of his gospel, and then his word becomes this light for our path that we imperfectly but still, still with diligence and effort in our lives demonstrate trust for his word if the light is in you meaning you have believed the gospel. If the light is in you, then you will want to follow the scripture as the light for your path. Now, I want us to skip to the last two verses of this section of Psalm 119 because I think they help us here. Verse 111 and 112, Your testimonies are my heritage, the psalmist writes, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now, in verse 111, he refers to the word as testimonies. In verse 112, he refers to the word as statutes, but it's all synonyms for the word of God. But notice the same word that appears in verse 111 and verse 112. It's the word forever. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever. And then in kind of a poetic exclamation point, he ends this section, to the end. You see, walking in the light of God's word isn't just an in-the-moment commitment. And I've already covered it. It's not an in-the-moment commitment for a lost person to just consider it to be good advice that they can walk in or not walk in. But Christians treat the word of God like this too. Sometimes we treat the word of God like we know better. (laughs) That that sure the word can tell us some things about life but could it really tell us all that we need to know for life and godliness so i choose to follow these portions of scripture without following these but this this testimony of the psalmist here that in both of these verses he he refers to the word as something that he is trusting in not for a moment but forever forever Now, I just want to illustrate this by showing two things that I think we sometimes trust in. These aren't the only two things, but these are two things that we sometimes trust in. We put the word down, and we say, I'm going to trust in something else. What are those two things? Well, first, those in darkness will often place an inordinate amount of trust in their own understanding. And there is a temptation for Christians who are in the light to put the lamp down, and instead of trusting it forever, trusting their own understanding. Here's the problem with trusting our own understanding. Our own understanding is, by nature of our sin, untrustworthy trusting in scripture, trusting in the word of God to be our lamp, stands in stark contrast with the current advice of this world. The current advice of this world is trust your gut. The current advice of this world is follow your heart. But this isn't what Christians are called to do. Christians are actually called to do the exact opposite of this. In Proverbs chapter three, we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. To make straight your paths is the same as your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So what stands in contradiction to the word of God as a lamp for us? What stands in contradiction to our paths being straight? Leaning on your own understanding. Listen. We're, we're not called to be people that just do whatever we want to do. We're certainly not called to be people to do what feels good. We're not even called to, do, to, to be people that say, well, this is just you know kind of what I, I, I feel it down deep. I, I need to do this. And Christians, will all, Christians will often borrow the language of the world and even bring it into the church. And we Christianize it. Now, I'm gonna, y'all gonna have to, y'all gonna have to just bear with me, okay? We Christianize it. So what people will often say is, people often want to make it sound really good, so they'll be like, oh, I, I need to pray about that. But they don't go home and pray about it. That's not actually what they're doing. What they're doing is, what, what they're really saying is, not I need to find out if this is something the Lord really wants me to do. What they're really saying is, I need to think about if I really want to do this or not. That's really what it comes down to. Let's just stop putting a Christian veneer on things. I would much rather you, by the way, say, if I ask you to do something, I'd much rather you just say, you know what, pastor, I just really don't wanna do that right now. Or, hey, pastor, I don't really know if I got time to do that right now. I don't know that I can be away from my family any more than I'm being away from my family. My responsibilities at work are are making it to where I, I don't know that, that I could do it. I would rather you just say that than somehow Christianize this well, I gotta trust in my God, or I gotta I gotta follow my heart. I do want you to pray about things. Don't hear me wrong. I do want you to walk in the Spirit and trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding you. But all of those things are subjective in our lives. They're subjective to our minds and our hearts and our understanding. That which is not subjective, what God has said is true. So don't, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust that he will make your paths straight. The second example I want to give is that those in the darkness place an inordinate amount of trust on earthly authority and power. And we too are often tempted to place an inordinate amount of trust on earthly authority and power. We're living in a day actually of of fairly significant distrust probably the the highest level of distrust for authority that we've seen since the 1960s. And I wasn't alive in the 1960s. Some of you were, some of you remember that period of time. There was a great level of distrust for authority in the 1960s. And these things are cyclical in societies. Well, they're back now. The difference between then and now is the day that we're living in now, the, the entities that you trust and distrust greatly vary depending upon your political leanings. So you may be in a group that, all, I'm, hold on now, that always wants to trust certain authorities and always wants to distrust certain authorities depending upon how your specific political tribe is trusting and distrusting them. So on one hand, people are saying, we should trust the police. and On another hand, people are saying we should never trust the police. On one hand, people are saying we should trust the White House. then On another hand, people are saying we should never trust the White House. We should trust the Congress. We should not trust the Congress. We should trust the State House. We should not trust the State House. We should trust the Governor. We should not trust the Governor. And all of these things tend to align with groups outside, that are defined outside of the Scriptures that we have then aligned ourselves with. We should hold on. We should trust the science, or we should not trust the science. All of these things, all of these these entities, these earthly authorities and power. And listen, we're all somewhat guilty of this in one way or another. We've because of the this hyper political politicized world that we live in right now. And you'll notice I'm not taking a stand on any of it. I'm saying we are all guilty in one way or another of putting too much trust in something because our political tribe has aligned with that thing. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how when political power shifts from one party to another, all of a sudden, the people who used to not trust that entity now fully trust it. It's, it's absolutely amazing when you sit back and look at it. But what's the instructions in scripture? Psalm 20 tells us that some put their trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What are chariots and horses? They're examples of earthly authority and power. And we don't trust in these things. Now, there are some, by the way, that from a secular sense are more trustworthy than others. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you which ones I think are which. But I I do think with some Christian discernment and the, the scriptures work in your life, that you ought to trust some of those things more than others. But more than any of it, more than any person you vote for, more than any people you align with, More than any of it, you should trust the Lord above all else. Trust in the name of the Lord your God. Trust that his word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path forever. No matter what happens. This is why when the nations rage, as the scripture says, when the nations rage around us, I don't lose sleep over it. And neither should you. Because the nations are not the light for our path. The word of the Lord is. So it doesn't matter what Rome does. Go back to Jesus and the apostles' day. It doesn't matter what Rome does. We can trust in the Lord. Oh, church, how great it is to be able to know that the Lord has spoken truth and that we can trust in it. Second, obeying scripture no matter what may come Look at verse 106, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. To swear an oath is to look into the future and say, I'm going to live by this decision no matter what may come. And so this middle section of this, Part of Psalm 119 and the second half of the sermon takes us beyond just trusting the word and actually obeying the word. That as we walk down the path of life, that the word of God illuminates for us, that we actually do what it says, that we don't just give lip service to it, As James writes, be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we become those who would agree with the psalmist, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. So you say, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep your righteous rules. Righteous rules is just another synonym for the word of God. Now, somebody in here may say, you may come up to me afterwards and say, but didn't Jesus say not to take an oath? Pastor, are you telling us to agree with the psalmist? I have sworn an oath and confirmed it when Jesus has directly told us not to take oaths. Well, let's look at what Jesus says about taking oaths and then we can understand, I think, how Jesus and the psalmist are actually agreeing together. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform the the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Well, there it is, right? Don't take an oath at all. Hold on. He explains it. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. That what you say be simply yes or yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You see, there was a practice in Jesus' day that people would take oaths by things that weren't theirs, they would take oaths by the temple as if they owned the temple. They would take oaths by the holy city, by Jerusalem, as if they owned Jerusalem. They would even take oaths by their own life. And Jesus says, you don't even own your own life. So you can't even change one hair from white or black. But Jesus is not talking about the heart condition. He's talking about this false way of just swearing by things. He's not talking about the, dedica- the type of dedication to godly obedience that the scriptures as a whole call us to let your yes be yes and your no be no this actually reinforces what the psalmist is telling us here i have sworn an oath and confirmed it meaning if i said i was going to do it yesterday i'm still going to do it today and god willing i'm going to wake up tomorrow and i'm going to do it tomorrow I'm going to let my yes be yes and my no be no. If I say I'm going to obey Scripture, I'm going to obey Scripture. And I don't need to take this oath on some big, grandiose idea, something that I can't control. What would be the point of that? I'm just going to be a man or woman of my word. And here's where we stand, believers. We stand saying, I believe that the scripture is God's word. I believe that by trusting and obeying it, it becomes a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and that is how I am going to live. I'm going to obey it no matter what may come. No matter how the nations rage, I'm going to obey it no matter how people mock me or persecute me or put me down for obeying and I'm going to obey it, no matter what it costs me. And listen, obeying scripture at times can be very costly. It can cost us relationships, it can cost us finances, it can cost us our job. For many in our world, it costs them their lives. But what do we do? We obey no matter what may come. We swear an oath, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it forever. Look at this middle section here, verses 107 to 110. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hands continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Here in these four verses, a couple of common themes to the chapter through this psalm, Psalm 119. Reemerge in Psalm 107, the theme of affliction, which has uh, already been mentioned numerous times previously in the Psalm, where he says, I am severely afflicted. In Psalm 110, persecution, where he says, The wicked have laid a snare for me. And persecution is something again that the psalmist has already referenced multiple times before. But here, Here's the connection. Why bring these things back up? Why, if he's already talked about affliction and already talked about persecution, why does he bring them back up? Because they're in the context of obedience to the word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So when things get tough, I'm still going to obey. (laughs) When, When it's unpopular, I'm still going to obey. When everything seems to be falling apart around me, I'm still going to obey when there are those who are going to want to tell me that I should not obey for, for even to the point of death, I, I still should obey. This is a call for us to not only trust, but to in our lives obey step by step what the scripture has told us. And then look at what happens. Kind of buried in the midst of this is, Psalm is verse 108. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. We came together this morning as a church. We corporately sang some songs here in probably about eight or ten minutes. We're going to sing a couple of more songs together. And for a lot of people, that's what they think worship is. That is an important part of worship. It is corporate worship. It is us singing together. We're commanded in Scripture to do it, and so we do that every week that we gather together. On Sunday mornings, we sing together. But if that's the full extent of your understanding of worship, you're really missing out on a lot of the teaching of Scripture. But there's more to worship than, there's, it's not less than, by the way, it's, worship isn't less than what we did and what we're going to do, but it is, it is more than. It's, it's, it's our obedience is an act of worship. And in the midst of talking about obedience to the word of God, the psalmist declares, accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord. So when we trust and obey Jesus just and his word in our regular daily lives, here's what we're doing. We are offering we're, we're giving a freewill offering of praise to him. Listen to how the author of Hebrews writes it. He says this in Hebrews 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So he's talking about the gospel. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. He's talking about affliction and suffering and persecution. For here we have a lasting city. All right, sorry. Let me make sure I say that right. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So we're not building a political machine. We're a part of a kingdom that is forever. Verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So our lives are a a sacrifice of praise to God. In verse 16, he's gonna tell us how. Do not neglect doing good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, how does the author of Hebrews know that doing good and sharing what we have are sacrifices that are pleasing to God? He knows this because the word of God tells us they are. So hear me, put the connection together. We believe the gospel, we follow Jesus and his word no matter what is happening around us, and we obey, we Do not neglect doing good and share what you have. This is just examples. We obey the word of God. And as we obey the word of God, our obedience is an act of praise to God. So what? Am I walking in the light of God's good word or in the deep darkness of my own unrighteousness? You are either in the light, walking in the light, Not perfectly, but diligently seeking to trust and obey what God has said is good because he has opened your eyes to the truth of his word or you are still dead in your trespasses and sin, feeling your way through this life, kind of putting it together in a way that seems right to you but is ultimately deep darkness because of your unrighteousness. You are in one of those two paths today, my friend the author of Proverbs, your notes say Proverbs 3, it's actually Proverbs 4, there's a misprint there, tells us about these two paths. He says, but the path of the righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You see, I'm not making up what I'm sharing with you today. I'm 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 preaching to you just some very clear teachings of Scripture, that there are two paths. There is a path that is light and a path that is dark. And to walk that path that is light is to walk in the righteousness of Christ, which shines brighter and brighter in our lives. And to walk in our own unrighteousness is to walk the path of darkness. And he says, I love the way that the the author of Proverbs here puts this, they do not know over which they stumble. They can't even see the obstacles in their way. Jesus talks about this Same idea, he says there's a broad path and a narrow path. These are just clear teachings of scripture. So what is it for you? Are you walking in the light of God's good word? Are you still dead in your trespasses and sin and in the deep darkness of your own unrighteousness? And if you are still in the deep darkness of your own unrighteousness, hear me. I'm gonna plead with you this morning, my friend. Jesus can shine in your darkness. Nothing else can. Fulfillment in this world cannot shine in your darkness. We'll try to replace it with lots of things. We'll try to replace it with hard work and money and family and all of these things that in their right place are good. But none of those things can be the kind of light that Jesus alone is. This is why. In the Gospel of John, the Apostle John begins his narrative of Jesus' life with some doctrinal truths about the eternal nature of the Son of God, but not only his eternal nature, but how he transforms the world by coming into it. And in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, John writes, In him, talking about Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Listen to me, friend, the darkness in your life is not too dark that Jesus can't shine his saving light into. You may say this morning, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know everything about me. You're right, friend, I don't. But I know about Jesus, and I know about the light of Jesus, and I know how the light of Jesus shined into my darkened heart, and he can shine into yours take you from what you are and transform you into something that is good in the light and then you can walk in him and hold church if this is true about your life then we should regularly evaluate our path and ask this question are there still places of darkness along the way and that the word of God and the power of his spirit should shine into my life so that I become from one degree of glory to another into the image of his son, which is the light that has invaded the darkness of this world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in darkness, but that you sent the light. Not a light, not a good light, not, not somebody that's a light, just, you know, sometimes, but you sent the light of the world that has overcome the darkness in so many hearts and standing at the door and knocking of many more, would they by grace through faith and the substitutionary death of Jesus alone see the light, unveil their eyes, be saved. For those of us who are in the light, God, would you help us to trust and obey, would you help us to see the goodness of your word? Show us in places where we are trusting in other things, even other things that may be good and established by God, but in their wrong place they become idols to us that cast shadows of darkness over our path. Help us to be people of your word that are trusting in it alone to illuminate our way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you hear this truth today of the gospel specifically, that Jesus has died for you and that you can trust in him, he'll shine light into your heart. Uh, I'll be with our Connect team out here in the lobby after the service. Come find me. Let me share with you how you can trust in Christ uh, and begin to walk in him today. Church family, we stand now to praise him who called us out of darkness into his light.